Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Happy birthday to you. Don't do that. Happy birthday to you. Don't do that. That's also not coming. It's not coming out on my birthday. <laughs> and also doesn't make sense for every other day of the year someone listens to this. You know, I didn't think about that until you said it out loud. So I take it back. This is an unbirthday. Happy, happy unbirthday. Thank you. To you. Appreciate it. <laughs> it's Harmony's birthday episode, everyone. Which just means that we're going to do some some teen boy bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like, last year, okay, so the first year we did Sorority Boys, there's a trans read to that. I'm real proud of it. The following year, we did Wrist Cutters. Not so much of a trans read to that, but a fair enough coming-of-age story. Now mm-hmm. we're doing two, 2010 Submarine don't look too much into the fact that the last two movies are um, bleak as hell, <laughs> unless you want to be confronted by my <laughs> steadily declining mental health. <laughs> Just ignore it. Don't read too much into that. Yeah, so it's Harmony's birthday. We are going a little bit off course in terms of what we normally cover, but as far as I'm concerned, I think this still very much falls under the scope of what we're doing in the show. I mean, it's, it's a coming-of-age story. It's a coming-of-age story. It's one that resonates with you really deeply, and that means it's worth talking about. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a girl. Mm-hmm. This was my coming-of-age stories, so there you go. Exactly. <laughs> and so if you have not seen Submarine out there, here's what the synopsis is. 15-year-old Oliver Tate has two objectives – to lose his virginity before his next birthday, and to extinguish the flame between his mother and an ex-lover who has resurfaced in her life. I don't know if that first one is really that true. That is such not a focus of this movie. It really isn't. It feels like a marketing plug, if I'm being real, because... like, I've seen this movie a number of times, and that's never expressed as, like, this is my goal, like it's American Pie. Right, like, he mentions it, but it's definitely not at the forefront. No. But it... On paper, it makes this movie sound like a sex comedy romp, which makes sense because the early 2010s were coming out of like the super bad boom, mm-hmm. where in order to get attention for coming of age stories, you needed the promise of sex. How how else are you going to pitch this movie to Americans? Uh, yeah, because this is also a painfully British movie. And, oh, and is I it say ever? that like complimentary, <laughs> like in quotes. Yes. <laughs> so. Harmony, what was your introduction to this movie? Because it obviously means a lot to you. Uh, This is a movie that has been orbiting my periphery for, like, ever. (laughs) 
Because I love Richard Iowati. Uh, the IT crowd was like the first thing I ever saw on Netflix at a friend's house, like a 2009, sounds right. Um, maybe 2010, but like even then that might be pushing it. And I'm one of those people who like watches Big Fat Quiz uh, mm-hmm. bootlegs that are uploaded to YouTube. And I love Richard Iowati. I loved Nevermind the Buzzcocks. Like mm-hmm. just, I was I was really into like British comedians and the Mighty Boosh and just a whole lot of that scene of, of, of humorists, as it were. Mm-hmm. And when I found out Richard Iowati's directing a movie, excuse me, what is that going to be like? And then all I knew about it was, it's really bleak. <laughs> and I went, huh, I wonder how that works. And then just never got the opportunity to watch it until like last year. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with it. And you, it was one of those movies that I watched on Tubi at like seven in the morning. And you come out of the bedroom and you're like, what are you watching? I go, submarine. And you just have no context for this dark, cloudy, brooding teen movie. And I just sit there and go, this this is what it was like growing up. Nobody mm-hmm. talks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my introduction to Submarine is weird because it's a movie that I remember watching in college, but don't remember actually watching it. This which, is an excellent I saw this in college movie. Uh-huh, which tells me that I was probably like blitzed out of my mind um, in some way, shape, or form, and that's why I don't remember it. But I do remember Patty Considine having a mullet. Oh, that I remember. The most vile 80s mullet. <laughs> so then you were watching Submarine around the same time that House of the Dragon was going on. So then I was like, you know what? Yes, I will absolutely revisit this with you mm-hmm. because yeah, he was crushing it at House of the Dragon. And yeah. it was like, damn, look at the range on this guy. <laughs> I mean, we're doing back to back. Honestly, not that different roles between How to Build a Girl and this. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very similar vibe. He's not a failed musician. Now he's a semi-successful regional mystic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, it's it's very, very interesting. But, you know, like we mentioned, this movie came out. It did, like, festival runs 2010. It finally made its way to the States 2011. It almost came out on my birthday. Came almost. Out, came out on June 3rd it was very in 2011. Close, very close. But it is a movie that's coming out kind of in the midst of the indie boom post-Juno. Mm-hmm. So it's got that going on for it, but it's also British. So, ooh, accents uh, yes. to most Americans. But also post-sex comedy boom, thanks to Superbad and a lot of the Apatow comedies. I mean, the Hangover movies. Mm-hmm. The, the movies that everyone compared every movie to for the next five years. <laughs> Funniest movie since The Hangover. Oh, my God. Everyone did that. That period of comedy trailers was the fucking pits. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, but I'm curious if you have any other context you want to bring to the table about this film's release. In the grand teen sphere of things, this doesn't make sense, but it makes a little sense. Okay, break that down for me. So, of the This Ends at Prom alum that we have, you have Easy A, mm-hmm. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, mm-hmm. directed by a British nerdy man. Yes. Similar to this film, but in a completely different direction. <laughs> Quite a bit more color in that. Yes. And... A remarkably similar vibe in Daydream Nation. Okay, yeah. That definitely feels like Cousins from Across the Pond. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. So those are the films we've already done from this year. However, if you want to go ahead and extend that out, like, I don't know, there's there's The Runaways, there's The Last Song with Miley Cyrus, Mm -hmm. there's Kick-Ass, which again, nerdy film. Mm -hmm. This is about an artsy nerdy boy. Mm -hmm. And then there's a Harry Potter and a Twilight this year. Mm-hmm. So there's this air of 
underdog nerdy guys mm-hmm. that is not quite taken off. We are we are just before the boom of mainstream nerdification. Mm-hmm. And also at the tail, tail, tail end of the studio indie flicks that it, from the 2000s that I love with my whole heart. Because mm-hmm. this is this is not that, but this is kind of where I feel like that era ends. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of the circumstances of this. This this movie is made by Ben Stiller's production company. Yes, it is. It is a weird outlier in everything that he was doing around that time. Yeah, he was mostly doing a lot of comedies at the time. When you look at the filmography, I mean, if you want to com- consider Duplex a comedy. <laughs> True. <laughs> Duplex. But- <laughs> by the way, I'm never going to get to talk about this on mic. Duplex is a weird movie that I kind of like, but everything about that movie feels like it was actually like a UK film that we localized over here and kept the same old actress. <laughs> it feels like there is a You're movie that wrong. doesn't exist and then we'd like brought it over here. <laughs> That's a really good description of Duplex. It feels like death at a funeral or some shit. <laughs> but yeah, like so he was making all these comedy movies and then you look at the Red Hour filmography and then randomly there's Submarine and then now we have Severance. It's like, what is happening over there? I don't know. Ben Stiller's got taste. He has a, he has a very brief cameo in this mm-hmm. as like a American daytime soap star on the television. Mm-hmm. So like, that's a cute little thing. But I believe this film was also funded by like a lotto to fund Welsh films or something. Oh, neat. It's it's mentioned at the very beginning of the movie, along with a, a big block that says like, hey, Americans, uh, this is made in Wales and you pretend to care about us as much as you do England. Uh, please treat this film not kindly. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So a little bit before we sat down to record this, we were having a conversation off mic that we wanted to bring to the airwaves, which is the idea of... This show being about teen girl movies and coming-of-age movies about girls, and this is decidedly not about girls. Like, there's a girl in it. There are women in this, Mm -hmm. um, and they play very prominent roles. But this is ultimately a story about a boy, but it is a story that resonates with you. And there are some people out there who struggle to relate to films if it doesn't mirror their exact experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're seeing that with, like, the the obvious nefarious ways of people being like, how am I ever going to understand the little mermaid now that she's not a redhead? Like there's like that like shitty bigoted racist nonsense. But then there are people that are like, well, I fundamentally am not going to go see this movie because you know, this is, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. What can I, an adult cis man receive from this movie? What is it going to affect me? And so I think a lot of people are really closed off to media because they're like, well, I don't see myself exactly in this, so I'm not going to get it. I can't relate to Homeward Bound because they're dogs. <laughs> right. Like, like when you put it out like that, you're like, this is bananas lines of thinking. It's ridiculous. Sure. However, it does get a little more complicated given the circumstances of transness. Oh, yeah. Well... I mean, this is this gets into a complicated territory where there's always this this is really I think separated by generations of trans people and mm-hmm. that that's where a large divide is where it's like, well, you were always trans and it's like, well, functionally I I wasn't. I was existing walking through the world and existing as a boy mm-hmm. through my first 18 years. Incidentally, the times where I was living at home and this was my experience. Mm-hmm. So it's weirdly timed out like that. But I know so many trans people who, uh, and it's not so much of a thing these days, but for a long time, people were 
really, really insistent that you couldn't even acknowledge their former selves. Mm -hmm. Like, not not simply like, oh, hey, the, the calling someone by their dead name. I'm not even talking about that. There were so many people I knew before, like, this newer generation or two of trans people who said, like, you can't even pretend that I was a boy. No, like, I'm going to burn every picture of me from when I was nine years old. No, absolutely not. You can't. Mm -hmm. This is too upsetting. And, like, fair, but that still is part of you, and you should probably unpack that. Mm -hmm. um, I find it very interesting that I frequently relate to male characters not because I'm male, but because I came from that world. And because, like, realistically, I have dad energy. You do. I have you, such you dad have energy. You dad energy. I, I don't... I, I understand moms. I relate to dads. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a conversation that you and I have even had is that you're an incredibly handy person. You fix things a lot. And... To some people on the outside, it's like, well, of course, of course, Harmony's handy. Harmony was born a boy, and that's why Harmony knows how to fix things. And it's like, no, Harmony was also born a dyke. That's why she knows how to fix things. Well, yeah, it's like, I don't, <laughs> I don't wear backwards hats and work on the sink in, like, a dad way. I work on it in a fucking dyke way. Exactly. <laughs> a very strong distinction, not in a lesbian way. Right. So, I, I don't know, it's... It gets into this territory where, like, I flex my muscles on understanding and relating and unpacking characters on this show every fucking week. Mm -hmm. And yet I know so many people who are not going to extend that to a character like Oliver Tate, mm -hmm. who is a bad person. He's a little bit of a bastard. <laughs> yes, but, like, I understand why. Mm -hmm. I understand deeply why he's like that. And I understand, like, certain elements where, like, it, it's like a, like a, a, a tree, where there's numerous forking parts at each branch. Mm -hmm. And I go, here's where he, him and I reached a point, and he went one way, and I went the other. Mm -hmm. And I can see where we have splintered off, but we came from very similar environments. Mm -hmm. Like, the, the cold, unfeeling industrial district of Wales is not too far from the cold, unfeeling industrial part of Northeast Ohio. Yeah. Like, the, the cold, rural hellscape of corn. <laughs> so, I don't know, I just... I feel like there's a lot of dismissiveness that comes from people who just refuse to understand a character. I, I think it's just an effort in empathy that some people don't choose to extend because either it doesn't relate to them or they make wild assumptions about someone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that that's fair. Don't watch a movie if you hate the main character. That's a hard sell. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a lot of things you can unpack and learn about people as a whole mm -hmm. and maybe like little bits of, about, of yourself with a movie like this. Mm-hmm. Like, even if you don't relate to the circumstances, like, there's a lot of movies that I certainly don't relate to, but I can still get bits and pieces and understand the merit of them. Mm -hmm. So, eh, that's just kind of, that's kind of my feelings. It gets into, a, like, a weird dicey territory that is so extremely individualistic when it comes to set trans people. But, mm -hmm. like, that's my feelings. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, if something is going to bring somebody harm, we don't want to, like, encourage them, no. like, hey, hurt yourself, watch this movie. I mean, that's an extreme thing, and that's, I mean, it's the internet that does that, so, like, let's not get hyperbolic with this, but, like, right, right. you know, we're saying <laughs> things within reason. Right, right. But I do find it really fascinating where, you know, this is a movie that means so much to you, and... Like, instantly, by the way. You talk I about I only this saw movie? this... 
I saw this last year. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You saw this for the first time last year. I think we've watched it together at least three times since then. So Uh I am sure you've watched it without me. It lives on free streaming. Yes, it does. It's (laughs) always on Tubi. But if you watch it on Pluto, it's in HD. Yeah, because we are are ride or die for Pluto in this household. It's true. Um, But this is a movie that obviously means a lot to you. And I am always so impressed with how effortlessly you navigate your feelings around feeling seen by movies that don't represent you or your experience and then the ones that do that could very easily be weaponized by people who are being hateful and you're just like no that just means you don't get it and i mean fuck man i really love 28 days later Mm -hmm. like that that's a british film from the 2000s and i relate real strongly to killian murphy in that yeah for a lot of like that that is my gay horror even though it's not gay at all Mm -hmm. (laughs) do you want to explain why that is because uh, otherwise people are going to be like, what the hell are you talking about? You know what? This is a tangent, but when, I'm, when are we ever going to talk about 28 Days Later? One of my favorite horror films on the podcast. You know what? Great point. Let's <laughs> knock that out. This seems like a good as time as any. So I love that as a gay film because you have this like wafy, androgynous David Bowie type mm-hmm. waking up in a, a hospital. You know, well, you wake up in a hospital bed as, you know, trans people often do in their lives after various surgeries. And you have great confusion into a, a world... That is openly hostile where everyone is filled with rage and wants to destroy you and you're lost and confused. So where do you go? A church. And then a priest tries to fucking murder you. And then throughout the entire movie, you're being assaulted by the overbearing weight and hostility of masculinity. Mm -hmm. And it's a film about fucking survival and by not playing by the rules, but just enough. And you get to team up with two women, one of which is black, and she's fucking awesome, and a fucking black zombie, and you just get to take down the entire fucking military industrial complex of the, of the apocalypse. The first time you gave this read to me, my brain melted out of my ears because it was like, holy shit, yeah, 28 Days Later has been a trans story this whole fucking time. At the very least, it's an androgynous, <laughs> awesome story. Like, I don't know, I, I've gone through my whole life in a state of constant survival, which we'll talk about more with Submarine. But like, mm-hmm. I, ever since coming out as trans, I've emotionally prepared myself to have to play dirty and drive my thumbs into a man's eye sockets. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Right. So, okay, but here's the thing. I think that this does connect to the conversation at hand, which is that on paper, thinking about relating to a movie like 28 Days Later sounds banana pants. Like, it sounds so illogical. But when you spell it out this way, it's like, no, this makes total sense. So in the same way that so many people from marginalized backgrounds have been having to headcanon themselves into characters and stories that were never written with them in mind throughout the entire fucking history of entertainment. Mm -hmm. This is a similar thing that's happening. And you relating to Oliver Tate in this movie isn't because of the gender you were assigned at birth. It's because of the lived experience that you have that regardless of gender, this is a story that speaks to you. And Mm -hmm. it just happens to be about a teen boy. The same way that any person of color who's ever had to identify with a white character would feel mm-hmm. because sometimes it's just what you do. You can't help what speaks to you. I mean, I don't know. That That's something about the human experience or something, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Sure. We're, we're not so different after all. Yeah. <laughs> so before we really dive into the submarine, <laughs> it's time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Happy Pride Month, Prime Party. We have some very uh, festive things coming to the Patreon for you this month. For our City Hawkins Dance Teen Boy movies, we're covering two uh, 
very different movies about gay boys uh, in Pixar's Luca and <laughs> Party Monster. So we're covering quite the spectrum with those films this month. For our musical milestones, we're taking a trip back to the 2000s and discussing kind of embarrassing millennial pride anthems that haven't aged super well. Like, do you remember a time when Same Love by Macklemore and I Kissed a Girl were really triumphant and embraced by a lot of queer people? We're going to talk about those songs and others. And for our TV Homecoming episode, we are wrapping up Freaks and Geeks. Parting is such sweet sorrow as this show definitely did not deserve to go out the way it did. In addition to all of our full-length episodes, you are going to have a somehow slightly gayer than normal playlist, BJ's wellness newsletter, and access to the ever-popular suggestion box. We're pulling three films from it just for this month alone. If for any reason you're not able to financially support the podcast over on the Patreon this month, we totally understand. Just feel free to leave us a, a nice review, give us a, a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts, and share us with a friend if you think that they'll like what we do. With all that said, back to the movie. You want to talk about Submarine now? Let's talk about Submarine. Let's talk about Oliver Tate. What is it about Oliver Tate that speaks to you? So it's not so much him as an individual that makes me go, oh, I feel this movie. Mm -hmm. Like this movie courses through my icy veins. It's not <laughs> him entirely in him in of himself. It's the whole of the movie. Okay. That's like, there's lots of little things about him that I relate to, but it's the environment that is creating him mm -hmm. that I recognize. Um, there's a lyric from Dark Side of the Moon that has been burned into my mind since I first heard it, which is a uh, hanging on in quiet desperation is the English way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very much what this whole family situation is, but that's also the Midwest. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that there's something about the Midwest and I don't understand what it is or why it is the way it is, but so many people I knew growing up were in these uh, regressive internalized hatred households. Mm -hmm. where people didn't talk. And if they did, it was explosive. It, you would only like express like loud noise or whatever when everything finally fucking let loose because you've been bottling it up for years. Mm -hmm. um, that's the kind of circumstances where my family hated each other, but we, we, did, we weren't a family. We were people like inhabiting walls together. Mm -hmm. And so like my parents did like the bare minimum as far as like keeping me sustained. Like I put a roof over your head and it's like, well, that's not commendable. That's the basics of right. what you were supposed to provide me as a parent. Right. <laughs> so the fact that like he's in this, he's being so immensely damaged and influenced by his parents and the fact that dad is very depressed and mom is very unhappy and they are both neglecting him because they are so caught up in their own issues. Mm -hmm. It's making him kind of justify his loneliness. Mm -hmm. I think that an easy comparison that you'll have with this movie to another film, it's going to be like Wes Anderson. It's going to be Rushmore. It's Rushmore. Yeah. And I don't really relate so much to Rushmore. I don't love Rushmore. I think Rushmore is fine. I, I think it's interesting. I think it ages weirdly watching it now and seeing how that kind of guy has taken form. You and can hear more about that on our Patreon because we did that as a Sadie Hawkins last month. It's true. But in justifying his loneliness, 
Oliver is talking about, like, the first scene, basically, is him talking about his death mm-hmm. and how it will be this tragedy that will impact all of Wales and everyone will weep and sob because he was so important mm-hmm. until he comes back as a Jesus Jedi who wants to fuck. <laughs> and then everyone's just like, oh, my God, I get, I get, I get on that. I thought I missed my chance. Mm-hmm. That's how he exists in his mind. Mm-hmm. He is writing a movie in his mind about himself. He's reading philosophy and watching silent films and kind of trying to find his his niche. Mm-hmm. And, and to, to some extent, I, I understand like, yeah, maybe being a, a pipe person wasn't your thing. Maybe being a hat person wasn't your thing. Mm-hmm. But like you don't read like 400 to 600 page books, numerous ones, and go sit through two hour silent films unless you enjoy it to some degree because you're doing it by yourself. Mm-hmm. So like, who are you impressing? Right. But, Who are you trying to convince here? Yes. So so he's painting a picture of himself as like this tortured loner of an artist that no one will understand until he's gone. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of self-importance with that, particularly with like people who are artistic, people who feel ostracized growing up. I'll be gone and then they'll be sorry. It's, Some, it's kind of that mentality. Something like that. I also think that it's like preemptively cutting off a a sad situation at the pass. Mm -hmm. Like, this is about my birthday, and I have never made a big deal about my birthday my entire life. And a big part of that was growing up is I didn't have a ton of friends. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like um, being in school, and then be like, cool, we're going to split up into groups, or we're going to split up into partners, and we're going to work on a project. And I go, I don't want to be a partner. I'd rather work alone. So that that way I'm not rejected by no one picking me. Mm-hmm. So if I don't have a birthday party, then no one can reject my invites to my birthday party or it can't just be an entirely small party with like two people who come. Right. So he doesn't hang out with boys outside of school. He doesn't do anything. He goes home and he does his artistic things by himself. This is making it so he's not lonely. He is rejecting people and that mm-hmm. gives him control mm-hmm. that he doesn't have. Yeah, that's a really, really great way of looking at this character because I've read a handful of reviews when the film first came out and it was either people who got it and were like, this is a really empathetic look at a very broken, kind of fucked up little boy. Mm-hmm. Or it was people that were like, I hate this movie because I think this child is a menace. I mean, yeah, both are true. And yeah, both are true. But I think that Richard Ayoade paints a very honest portrait of Oliver while also holding a lot of space to let us understand how he got this way. Mm -hmm. And that's something I think we are really bad at as a culture, especially right now. We talk a lot about these problematic boys and we kind of write them off as issues. Uh, There's a description that I absolutely love, which is that like we treat boys as problems before we treat them as people we love to make jokes about like man men will really bully a girl and push her in a pond rather than go to therapy and it's like he's seven we should probably be having a conversation instead of writing off this seven-year-old i I want to think (laughs) that most teenagers have not gone so far down the road that they are at least somewhat redeemable Mm -hmm. you can take a crack at it not everyone's michael myers not all of them are an embodiment of pure evil that's going to get locked up forever right some of them just need guidance and Oliver definitely is one of those boys who is acting like a fucking asshole mm-hmm. and needs guidance. And we see that he's not getting it. Like oh, we see all of the pieces that 
made him this way. Mm -hmm. And because he's so young is the thing. So also Craig Roberts, who plays him, this is his breakout role, is phenomenal in mm -hmm. this movie. He is so incredible. I love his silly little run. Oh, he has such a silly little run. Like, his feet will just be going, dit, 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 dit. but he like, his upper body will just be like scanning across the ground while his little feet are going. Right. He's got such an awkward, dorky little run. I love him. He's, he's great. If you're not familiar with him, if you've seen the movie Neighbors, he's ass juice. So, you know, what a, what a great follow-up role. He's also ass in juice. the Jump Street movies. This is true. This yeah. is true. Um, yeah, he's he's a funny kid. But getting to see behind the curtain, so to speak, of this family that he's coming from, and I think it's also important that his parents, who are the amazing Sally Hawkins and Noah Taylor, both actors that I'm obsessed with, mm -hmm. they're not inherently bad people either. They're also not like the neglectful type of parent that's like, I'm going to sit on the couch and ignore my kid and get like housed all day. Like it's not that kind of neglect. It's that they are also going through really bad shit mm -hmm. and they're not understanding that like when you have a kid, you have to factor them into your healing process uh, because if you just ignore them, uh, that's making things worse. Well, I mean, that's really what it is. Like the problem is like the element of their lives that they're consumed by Dad is depressed because he doesn't host his, like, public access fish show anymore. Mm -hmm. He got fired, so now nobody understands what his job is, and he doesn't get to do his, like, dorky little Bill Nye deep-sea fish performance that made him so happy. Mm -hmm. uh, Mom's a failed actress who has now been relegated to working an office job where you have to bring your own cake on your birthday, which is really awful sounding. Like <laughs> That is, like, such a specific, like, ugh. I hate it, Ugh. but like neither of their lives panned out exactly what you want. So dad's depressed and mom's giving up on the marriage and they're both giving up on this one element of their lives and it is affecting everything. Mm -hmm. And Oliver's trying to keep them together. He's very aware that they're not fucking because the dimmer switch is never set on dim in their mm -hmm. bedroom. He's Did you? Okay. So this is an awkward question. <laughs> Did you have a thing like that with your parents? Like, did you know what, like, the universal sign was that your parents were fucking? No, I shared a wall with them. Oh. Um, also, my parents were so unhappy for so long that I don't think that they were, uh, I don't think that they were fucking for most of my childhood. Gotcha. According to my dad, who, you know, exaggerates things quite <laughs> a bit. Uh, you know, I caught a fish this big kind of stories. <laughs> uh, my mom was blowing every doctor at the hospital. So, you know... There's that. God. Uh, I secretly do love the bitterness of divorced parents. Maybe it's because I don't have divorced parents, so it doesn't, like, spark hatred I mean, or, like, it's real funny me. when you just say it. Right. <laughs> like, when you're a kid who's living through it, like, you get dragged to a sad bar next to the train tracks in, like, a rundown neighborhood, and your dad's, like, ignoring you, talking shit about his ex-wife to all of his friends, and you're stuck there, not being able to put quarters into, the, like, the little spiral ball shooting game on the bar. Harmony, this is too specific for you not to just re be repeating your childhood. Yeah, I know. It's not funny then. <laughs> yeah, now it's, it's not funny. It's funny to recount it now. <laughs> oh, God. And then my dad would occasionally remember that I was there and go, hey, you want another 7-Up? And I go, sure, Dad. <laughs> and you didn't even get a Shirley Temple? You just got plain 7-Up? Yep, I would just, again, like, that's... That's some bull. Correct. And both my parents, I rag on my mom all the time in on this show, but my dad is just as neglectful and shitty. But there's not, there, there's a difference between, like, my parents would get drunk and they would fight. Usually my dad would throw, like, throw a coffee mug at, like, the brick wall downstairs. 
but most of the time it was just silence. My family doesn't talk, so it's just giving up. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's like you give up on being a family and you just exist in a space together. Mm-hmm. Like there's a scene in this movie where um, it's like midway through the movie where Sally Hawkins character of, of, of Jill Tate, mom, just goes, well, did you like my haircut more when it was long or now that it's short? And they just go, oh, I, I don't I don't care. Whatever you want. Well, what if I shaved my head off? What, whatever will make you happy, dear. And it's like, why the fuck would I shave my hair off, Lloyd? Mm-hmm. So like she just wants something like have a reaction something and he's not giving it and she runs into the arms of a man with a painted van and a mullet whose logo is just the dark side of the moon logo petty considine is so incredible in this movie dude gets a blowjob by doing like tybo it's mid mid tybo blowjob <laughs> it's incredible <laughs> like i have such an affinity for characters like this that feel like the weirdos you would see in a documentary or a Christopher Guest movie. Harmony and I recently guested on 1999 The Podcast, which is a podcast that does movies from the year 1999, and we talked about American Movie, uh, arguably one of the best documentaries ever made, but that movie is filled with characters like this, Mm -hmm. where they are so... Small town weirdos. So weird that you can't process that they're real, and you think that, like, nobody lives like this. Like, you look at Patty Considine, and you're like, no one lives like this guy. With a mullet and a self-portrait airbrushed on the side of a van that guy doesn't exist and then you sit there and you think for a minute and you're like no a guy like this absolutely does exist there's probably one in every like relatively big small town in america there's thousands of these guys absolutely and the thing about it is like he's apparently relatively successful because he has a nice house yeah he has a nicer house than the tates when he does his little like performance thing in the basement of wherever the fuck they are whatever a british vfw is yeah there's so many people there and they are eager and they are clapping they are ready to buy whatever weird LuLaRoe leggings this man is trying to sell them yes like, also i realize i said british whatever a welsh version of a vfw is yes yes because we have to be very specific here i mean the opening says not to acquire Wait the two. <laughs> <laughs> but we are filthy Americans who are bad at geography. I love Tom Jones. Wales, you're great. <laughs> you do love Tom Jones. Probably more than anybody our age loves Tom Jones. Anybody below the age of at least 55, I love Tom Jones more than them. <laughs> Whenever I'm late home from school, my mother assumes that I've been abducted and left to drown in a lake. There he is. Oliver. My mother is worried that I have mental problems. I found a book about teenage paranoid delusions during a routine search in my parents' bedroom. After that, I started slipping certain choice phrases into our conversation. My body has been replaced by a shell. My internal organs are made of stone. I've been dead for years. Right. My mother is naturally neurotic, and in her youth even dreamed of being an actress, until she was told by a speech therapist that her tongue was too big for her mouth. Now she works for the council's legal and democratic services department. I understand why mom is looking to like the greener pastures of an old fling. Apparently, apparently dad Lloyd ended up like winning mom over by tearing his shirt off one time and just being like, haha, look at my hairy chest. And she was like, wow, what a, what a wild card. Mm-hmm. And apparently that was enough in their youth to win her over. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that shine has dulled. <laughs> that ship has sailed. Yes. So like, I get why she would be in, at least intrigued by the guy she used to do stuff with when when she was young and the future was ahead of her and she had 
prospects and optimism and mm-hmm. wasn't just sadly reflecting in her bedroom at old drawings of her headshot. Mm-hmm. And speaking of that scene, mm-hmm. her son is sitting on the stairs just spying on mom. And a normal parent, like a loving parent who is like involved in their child would turn around and say, hey, bud, what you doing? You need to talk? She walks up and just closes the door and just like go to bed. You <laughs> Like, because again, the parents are too busy dealing with their own shit to recognize the impact it's having on their kid. And there leads to a bit of like an adultification when this sort of thing happens. Like when you neglect your kids and they sort of become latchkey kids in whatever form that looks like, Mm -hmm. there's an adultification that happens. And we see that with Oliver, who speaks beyond his years, but is not mature. Like, he is so immature, but is, like, it's like he's cosplaying as an adult. Yeah. He's, like, uh, he's kind of like that guy from American Vandal. Yes. Is that that the poop one? There's the poop one and the second season with the guy with the poop. (laughs) Yes. The, the, The one who specifically is, like, Trying to speak as though he is the smartest, most interesting person in the room. Yes. Sh- Shitstain McLean, that's his name, right? <laughs> yeah. That guy. But you're totally right, though. Like, that's that's a thing. That Actually, that character is very similar in a lot of ways to Oliver Tate because he starts being the biggest weirdo possible because then people can't be mean to him by calling him a weirdo because he's the one who established that brand for Mm -hmm. himself. And that's kind of what we see with Oliver. But instead of being a weirdo, he's being a loner. Mm -hmm. But it's a loner by choice. So then you can't can't take that from him. You can't insult you with him. You're a loner. Mm -hmm. The the way I would describe Oliver, and I was kind of this kid, um, he's a watcher. Ooh, okay. I like this. So I think that... I'd like, I, I would describe myself still. It's like, it's still part of my DNA that I, I'm a watcher. I, I watch things happen around me. Like, I don't interact. Like, it, it's kind of like lurking on Twitter where it's like, oh, I see what the bullshit is going on, but I'm not interacting with it. I'm not taking part of it. Mm-hmm. Oliver is watching things happen in school. He knows that Chips got stabbed in the back a bunch with compasses. He knows that one kid kid shit on the fucking pavement. Mm -hmm. He knows all of the stuff that happened, but he's not taking part of it. He's observing it as though he's consuming a book or a Mm -hmm. movie whilst also writing the movie of his life because his life is the most interesting thing ever because he's a tortured soul. Like, that's, that's that kind of kid. And I don't know, like... You lose a lot by not interacting with the world and only getting, like, anecdotal secondhand evidence of it. But he doesn't know that yet. Right. So I did a little bit of research on this and looking at some of the reviews and things people were saying. And you read, like, at least 20 articles about this. I read so many. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I was pleasantly surprised that an old piece from 2011 uh, on Slash Film, which was written by David Chen, it was talking about uh, their time at Sundance and talking about Submarine, Juno, uh, Wes Anderson, 500 Days of Summer, like this boom really is (laughs) is what's happening here. Mm -hmm. But he opens it by talking about Submarine and says, Richard Iowati's Submarine, which screened recently at the 2011 Sundance Film Festival, probably affected me more than any other film I've seen so far. Its humorous depiction of a young man struggling to get through his teenage years was so authentic, heartfelt, and moving that it vividly evoked all the trials, tribulations, and thrills of my own younger years in a way I was not prepared for. 
What makes Submarine shine is the committed performance of newcomer Craig Roberts and Ayoade's willingness to let the story venture into some dark territory. There are developments in Oliver's life that would overcome even 20 or 30 year olds with paralyzing fear. Oliver makes some horrible choices, but it's a treacherous learning process that we all go through, and the film's ability to recall it makes Oliver eminently relatable. That Oliver is able to endure this period is a testament to the awesome resilience of children. Those who know Ayoade from the IT crowd and the Mighty Boosh won't be surprised that he's able to nail the tone of this film and deliver some great laughs. But the fact that Ayoade's directorial debut is so full of life and so true to promise what I hope to be an amazing career in feature films. Mm-hmm. Like, to uh, to use a quote um, from a conversation between you and Sarah Marshall one time about Welcome to the Dollhouse, uh, I think you said it, which was, I'm sorry your life isn't sad enough to find this funny. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, this is one of those movies where... This, as much as I'm talking about, like, extremely heavy shit, and as this whole movie projects itself either as, like, a British horror film or the most, like, Shakespearean stage drama you will ever see. There are so many moments in this movie where I just feel like I'm watching Don't Look Now. Like, it is so scary Uh in the way that the camera is moving because, again, he's painting this movie of his life and some of his influences are terrifying. Exactly. So, like... As much as all of that is taking place and there's like really big, like really big, like booming thunder music cues anytime something horrible happens. Mm -hmm. It's a really funny movie. It's it's really funny. It's really funny. And it isn't afraid to make really uncomfortable, terrible, awful situations really funny. Mm -hmm. Um, So we haven't talked about her yet, but Oliver does have a lady in his life. Um, the incredible Jordana played by Yasmin Page. I'm obsessed with her Mm -hmm. (laughs) because she is mean and awful and wonderful and funny. I feel like this is who you were in high school. I wasn't as like ruthless as she is, but I- you wish you were? Oh, I wish I was. (laughs) I wish I was. Um, But there's definitely a lot of me that I can see in her character, but I think she's more of like somebody I would have aspired to be like. but yeah, she, cause she's also going through some shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause her mom is dying. Everyone in this movie is going through shit. Everyone in this movie is going through shit, which e- I love. Even, even Patty Constantine is going through shit because he's having a rough go of it with his, his current lady. Mm-hmm. Like everyone in this movie is going through shit. Mm-hmm. And I think that th- th- there's something weirdly poetic about that when everyone around you is going through shit. Um, it can make it feel like your shit's a little bit easier to deal with because you know for sure that you're not alone in that situation. Oh yeah, I want to talk about Jordana a lot more, but that is a really interesting point to bring up about this whole movie, which is Oliver Tate thinks he has his shit figured out. He mm-hmm. he knows more than everybody the entire movie because everyone is depressed and everyone's getting put through the ringer. And then everyone gets their stuff sorted out. Mm-hmm. Mom and dad work it out. Jordana leaves him and ends up with another boy. Mm-hmm. Everyone seems happy. And that's when he's at his most depressed. Mm-hmm. Because one, something bad finally happened to him outside of like the uh, the boiling frog principle of his parents' marriage slowly dissolving. Where it's like, right. oh, no, I've, I've become accustomed to this. Mm-hmm. But something big and world changing actually happened to him. But there is a deeply crushing feeling when everyone's depressed and you're a part of that. And it's like, okay, well, at least I'm at least ever it's, it's, it's rough out there for everyone. But then everyone's lives get better the second they drop you. Jordana is 
ignoring him. She left him. Mm -hmm. Mom and dad are now, you know, they're happier because they're with each other, but they're not paying attention to him really that much. Like they pop in and do their like, hey, finger guns, they're a sport. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I gave grandma handy. I was just trying to cheer him up. But anyway, we're moving on. Mm -hmm. There's something just really world shattering about being the only one of your friends who is the sad one still and everyone else's lives have been sorted out. And especially in this circumstance, no one's helping him. As you're talking, I felt my body go into like fight or flight a little bit here because anybody listening to this who is disabled or immunocompromised knows this feeling very deeply because the pandemic is still happening. It is a mass disabling event. People are dying nonstop. And yet so many people are like, fuck it, music festivals with hundreds of thousands of people crammed in a room. Why weren't you here? Why didn't you do this? And it's like, I'm sitting at home alone by myself doing nothing, having no fun, being sad and depressed because I might still die. And it doesn't fucking matter to any of you out there. I'm drinking hot water with lime and (sighs) the same mug without washing it. Yes. Which I have done. Um, Yeah, the second you said that, I was like, oh, that's why this movie hits as hard as it does right now. Got it. There Mm -hmm. we go. Figured it out. Connected those dots. Carry on. It's just just the worst feeling where at no point do I think Oliver is having that thing of like, why did they get to be happy? No, I have those days. He's not... (laughs) He's not spiteful and wanting everyone to be as miserable as him, which I think speaks to him not being as much of a bastard as a lot of people might think he is. Mm -hmm. He is just wallowing in the deepest fucking despair. Mm -hmm. And he's being consumed by that feeling. And there's just there's no one's helping him. Like he tries to he tries to get Jordana back and get his like happy ending where it's like, this is the moment. This is the moment where you're supposed to say, fuck that guy and come with me. Right. And she goes, no, I'm good. Mm -hmm. And he's like. That's how movies work. Yeah. So, like, then he just kind of run away and everyone calls him gay and makes fun of him. (laughs) Because what what year did we figure out this takes place in? um, It's the year of Crocodile Dundee. It is 1986. Beautiful. So, yes, 1986. So, of course, you showed your feelings, gay. You're you're a big gay. See, when they call him a big gay, uh, that I love. I also love um, Fuck Muppet. That fuck is Muppets wonderful. That's probably my favorite of the insults in this movie mm-hmm. is fuck Muppet. Like that that I'm putting that in my back pocket and carrying that one with me. Yeah. But like back back to Jordana. Her mom is dying. Her mom is dying. <laughs> and like it's not in like a haha funny, her mom's dying. It's like, no, this is like a really sad thing. And they have Christmas early and it is really morbid and sad. And because there's also a lot of like pomp and circumstance to uh Christmas not in the States with like crowns and all of that stuff and you're just Christmas like, crackers. Christmas crackers and you're just like, oh, 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 this hurts. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is this is sad. Like, have you ever had those moments where you're at a friend's house? Like in this situation, the lights are just flickering and they're kind of going, I think the light bulb is dying or whatever. And Jordana's dad is trying to give this lovely thing about how much he loves his wife and he's happy to see this young love sitting at the table. The lights goes out and he fucking flips out and starts like being like, these fucking lights! And then starts to break down and sob. Mm-hmm. And the whole family just walks over and is like, oh, we're going to have a moment trying to make dad feel better because mom is dying and it might be her last Christmas. And Oliver just stays at the table and is like, uh-oh. <laughs> have you ever been in those situations? 
Not to that specific, obviously. Nothing quite that extreme, but... No, but I have had two real rough ones. Uh, There was one where I was at a sleepover. So this is like a birthday party. So there's a lot of us here for this. Um, And we got wind that somebody's like uncle had been in this like terrible car accident. So dad had to leave and like go figure that out, which meant that mom was then now home alone with like a bunch of screaming little girls who were doing things. And then like the birthday girl was crying because like her uncle was like in critical condition. But like you're so little that you can't fully process the severity of that situation. Mm -hmm. We're like, oh, your uncle's in the hospital. That sucks. Anyway, do you want to play Barbie makeover? (laughs) Like, you just couldn't process it. And she was devastated. And there was, like, a handful of us that were, like, being little girl shitheads. And the other half of us were like, I feel like we should go home. Like, Uh I don't think we should be here. This is terrible. Well, it's because you don't know what to do. Yeah, there's no... There's no right answer to this. There's there's not. And then, God, when I was dating easily corruptible Christian boy who I've mentioned on this show before um his grandfather had like very severe alzheimer's and so we would like witness these like really terrible breakdowns of him like we would just be eating dinner and then like grandpa would come out with his dick out or like something Mm -hmm. like wild and all of us kind of like didn't like anybody who was under the age of 20 we just all kind of sat at the table like i have no idea how to process this situation Mm -hmm. because one you don't want to laugh because it's obviously horrible, like, what's happening. And then afterwards, there's then the aftermath of, like, mom is crying because it's her dad who's going through this. And it's just the – it's the fucking worst because you're like, how do I help? How can I make this situation better? I literally can't. There's nothing I can do that makes this better. This is just – it has to I mean, suck for them. Also, it's <laughs> – I mean, what are you going to do if you're, like, 15? Right. Like, sure, there's nothing you can do, but, like, what would you be expected to do? Right. Oh, my God. It was just, like, it was the worst situation of just, like, sitting there and all of us, like, do we even eat? Like, or is that disrespectful? Like, should I just put my hands in my lap? What do I do here? And, like, he's a corruptible Christian boy would just, like, stare at me. And he's, like, just don't. Just don't do anything. Just, Mm -hmm. like, we'll sit here. We'll be quiet. It'll be fine. She'll come back to dinner. And then she would. She would come back and, like had it wiped her tears and she's like so anyway tell me more about the school musical and you're mm-hmm. just like how do i go back into this i guess it's good yeah it's fun thanks for asking yeah do you need a minute what is happening yeah. oh yeah i mean i have also been in these situations uh tell me about it because i would love for it to not be my anecdotes <laughs> dude i Okay, so there was a girl I was dating in high school. I was 16. She was 21. I know. She was very nice, but I know. All we ever did was make out. We never went past that. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> I was da- I was dating her, and then she calls me up one time going, can I come over? I need to talk. Sure. So she comes over and decides to uh, be like, I got texts from this guy. He was He was one of the, one of the, like, chaperone volunteers that helped out with the marching band and mm-hmm. he was like hey i mean i just want to let you know that like i've watched you grow up and whoa whoa I, that's worse <laughs> oh it's gonna get worse oh no um, i've watched you grow up and i think that you are just like a beautiful young lady and you know maybe we could like meet up sometime and just you know very much that kind of a thing from a middle-aged dad who drinks my hard lemonade exclusively yuck now what you don't know is that uh she was friends with this guy's son, who is now dead. 
And also, this man was the father of my best friend throughout all of school. Oh, no. And that meant every time I would see him for the next uh, three years. Oh, you knew. I had to just say, um, (laughs) um, um, not only, um, are you trying to cheat on your wife, you're trying to do it with a woman half your age who I'm dating, um, um. Hmm. Oh, no. He had no idea. By the way, they ended up getting a divorce because uh, this mom ended up finding out that he was he was an ass, and then he got with a much younger woman, and that's unsurprising. But um, that's one of them. Oh, God. That's... So this is your best friend's dad? Yes. So, like, you're at this house a lot, I assume. Yes. You're around this guy a lot. All the time, and uh, also... Because of the age difference, people did not know her and I were dating. Except my mom, who was very okay with it and gave her a nickname that she still calls her to this day, despite her not being cool with the nickname. (laughs) Just being like, why is your mom, like, for the sake of the conversation, it's like, why is your mom calling me a potato? (laughs) And it's just like, I don't know, she's fucking, she thinks she's being clever. Yeah. And she never cleared it with her, so it's just a thing you do. I, whatever. But like, yeah, he didn't know. Oh my god. Yikes. So gross. I hate it. Thanks. I hate it. Like this, this story this, started with you being 16 and dating a 21 year old and got way worse. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So this is one of those situations where like things blow up and are horrible. It's more of like that Midwest uh, hanging on in quiet desperation, simmering yeah, under kind really of fucking tension. Is. <laughs> that's that's the uncomfortable one of, of that whole thing. So. So anyway. Oliver is absolutely infatuated with Jordana, and uh, he decides that despite being fundamentally against bullying, he's going to bully the fattest girl in school because Jordana likes to make fun of people sometimes if it suits her, and he's trying to impress her, so he shoves her in a pond. And the way that they shoot this bullying scene- It's beautiful. Like, it's lit so nicely. It is so- gorgeous like in any other movie this is like a falling in love in the woods like montage it's and the most it well-lit is, scene in the whole movie it, like there's like whimsical music and like there's fall smiling. there's like crunching leaves under everyone's feet it's so whimsical and then you're like wait a second no they are bullying this girl and torturing her what the fuck yeah and uh it turns out we find out that and we find out later that apparently that's the only girl Oliver Tate has ever kissed. Mm-hmm. And she ends up transferring to a different school because of bullying. And Jordana is way into him for it. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, God. Like, Just... and also, also he writes, like, he pulls out his typewriter and he writes her a letter of, like, how to self-improve herself. Mm-hmm. Because it, and it basically boils down to like, you know what? Um, maybe just don't be so fucking sad, and just then people will leave you alone. Which is the most like childish way he also to gets like, like fifty percent off coupon to like burgers or something, right? Like it's God, kids are such. He thinks shits. he's doing his best, and he's clearly not. Kids are such shits. Yeah. So then Jordana and intercepts. The, the the self-help pamphlet that he was getting delivered to her and then threatens to blackmail him unless they meet under some train tracks. Mm-hmm. And this whole scene is filmed like a horror movie. Yes. Yes, it is. Where they show up and it's it's like a Wes Anderson horror movie. They're all looking directly at the camera on every cut. And it's like, get on your knees. It's like, Jordana, please don't do this. That makes, that makes it a Ricky Bates movie, the guy who did Excision. Because yeah. so many of his movies are just center frame staring down the barrel of the camera. Yeah. But, like, she ends up blackmailing him and be like, I need you to write in my diary that we made out all the time and it was the hottest thing you ever did and I'm going to take a bunch of Polaroids. 
And it's like... It's just psychological terrorism of teenagers. And he's like, oh, but I'm I'm cool with this because he's a little bit of a bottom bitch like that. That's fine. See, here's the thing. Oliver is a little bottom bitch. He he follows after his dad, who is a very submissive man. Oliver is going to be very happy one day when he is old enough to purchase the time of a woman who will call him names and slap him on the butt. Yeah. (laughs) Like, he's going to thrive when he's old enough. love that for him. Do you relate, Harmony? A little bit. <laughs> you know what? I just, I like to have a good time. So <laughs> Oliver goes on a second date with her. Mm-hmm. And then we get to see things through his view. Mm-hmm. And this is the most goddamn romantic thing in like the most stereotypical lovely indie film. Mm-hmm. Where, um, I mean, maybe they're getting into some riffraff by lighting things on fire and shooting off fireworks the entire day. Mm-hmm. But it's all filmed with like Super 8 and it's set to like Alex Turner from the Arctic Monkeys who did this whole soundtrack and it's lovely. Um, Like I I think the Arctic Monkeys start off really good and then I just stop following along but I hear they're still pretty good. I love The Last Shadow Puppets though which is much more in line with this soundtrack which fucking rules. But it's them just running around like it's like a Super 8 music video and just doing romantic things and being cute and blowing shit up. And at one point, there's a shot where he's just marveling about how much he loves her while it's like shit burns in the background. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, it's this like juxtaposition that I think is just so wonderful. Mm-hmm. But like, that's how he wants to view things through this super indie, wonderful film. That's his life. That's what he wants everything to be. There's also this little addition to Jordana that I love, which is that she has eczema. Oh, yeah. And it's like kind of a running thing. And it's very matter of fact, which I love it when characters have afflictions or something that is a part of them that they deal with every day, but it's not like the core of their personality. But it's also not something that you can ever forget about them Mm -hmm. because that is... That is, like, in my opinion, good representation where, like, you're not defined by it, but you can't erase that aspect of this character because she's constantly talking about, like, don't touch me this way. That's my eczema kind Mm -hmm. of thing. It's like, why are you scaly? And I, why are you scaly? Yeah, I have eczema. Like, Uh I love that. I I think that there's something so authentic and sweet about that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, maybe we can start the, the night again. I, I gotta go home. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, you should you should go home. Yeah, give you this. Uh, it's just a letter. I was gonna give it, but you yeah, just take it. It's nothing. Yeah. Sorry, baby. No, no, I. Yeah, I can. You know, you know I. Okay, bye. Dear Jordana. Thank you for letting me explore your perfect body. I could drink your blood. You're the only person I would allow to be shrunk down to a microscopic size and swim inside me in a tiny submersible machine. We've lost our virginity, but it wasn't like losing anything. You're too good for me. You're too good for anyone. Sincerely, Oliver. And I just think there's something really beautiful about these, like, both uniquely fucked up little weirdos finding each other because I think they see something in each other. But here's a question I have for you. Mm-hmm. Oliver is very much infatuated with her for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. I think there's uh, kinship. I think there's also just a lot of stuff about mean women he doesn't understand about himself yet. Y- yes. Obviously. Yes. As we, as we said. But she has like a hard barrier on, on romance. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to be romantic. I don't want you to be intimate. Absolutely not. I want this to be like a cold, 
unfeeling interaction. Basically, I want you to treat this like you're. I'm, I wear at a deli counter and you're buying ground chuck from me. I'm so worried where this question's gonna go because I feel like it's going a couple different ways. But yes, yes. What well, I mean, question? you can throw your own personal anecdotes in here if all you want, but like that's not where I was going <laughs> since I know what you're feeling. Um, what I was gonna say is he overdoes it. Like, when they have their, their big date where they're going to have sex, he, like, sets up this romantic thing with rose petals and way too much red in his parents' bedroom, and she just is like, oh, my God, you're a serial killer. Mm-hmm. But there are, but, but there, there's ways he tries to touch her, and she, like, brushes him off. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that's just a teen boy going, this is what you do with girlfriends? Or do you think that's a teen boy desperately seeking intimacy by, like, applying intimacy, hoping for it in return because he's not getting it. Both. I agree. I think that it is the the front reason is, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. But the core reason is this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, like, boys aren't allowed to be like, okay, can I just have a hug? Especially in the 80s. Especially when he's constantly being called gay. Right. Like, you can't do that. So it's like, I want to touch you. And then hopefully you'll touch me. But as soon as she does... She got all gooey inside. Mm-hmm. Like, as soon as he finds out, like, she's going through her own shit, like, her mom's dying, he develops this harebrained scheme because all he does is read. Like, he reads book dictionaries and just looks up words, which I kept a dictionary on the back of our toilet, next to the uh, Jeff Foxworthy You Might Be a Redneck joke book, if you're curious. And then I would look up words and learn them uh, on the pooper, and then I would apply them in my life, which I think is why I have a very weird old-timey vocabulary. Probably. Yes. So I'm going to think about you shitting every time you use like a $5 word now. You're welcome. <laughs> but he develops this like harebrained scheme that he read about in addition to like submarines and and sonar and all this other shit he reads about and just goes on rants about across like our narration about how pets are good because they help teach kids about death. So he's <laughs> going to kill her dog. So like, here's the thing. When you say it like that, it sounds so deranged and so because it is it's absolutely deranged he thinks he's helping but that's the thing he he genuinely thinks he's helping like this is not him being like malicious or evil or whatever this is him processing information and then being like this might help it's like a test run uh-huh. <laughs> like i Which, understand like, the logic anybody it's just <laughs> fucking nuts. anybody who hasn't seen this by the way uh he does not kill the dog the dog ends up getting hit by a train and dies anyway Yes. So if you're wondering, does the dog? Yes, the dog does die. Yes. But he does not kill the dog. Which is slightly (laughs) better, I guess. And then Jordana's like, well, we should bury it. And he goes, no, 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 no. I read that foxes dig up and eat dead things. So they give it a Viking funeral in like an oil can off the ocean. (laughs) And like the shot, there's so many beautiful shots in this. Richard Iwati has so many things that just look like perfect stills. Mm -hmm. That's That's a great one. There's some wonderful shots in there. The opening shot where it says submarine, but it's broken into three lines with like an mm-hmm. ocean sunset you could throw that onto a t-shirt and that's fucking high fashion mm-hmm. like there are so many beautiful shots in this movie that richard iowati did that just embody pure indie gold pure indie cinema gold and i never would expect it from the guy who i know primarily from the it crowd also while we're here fuck graham linaham yeah seriously fuck that guy Unfortunately, I like many things that he made, but fuck him. Yeah, the shots in this movie are unbelievable, and they're done by a cinematographer named Eric Wilson. Um, 
Eric Wilson, uh, I think, shot the Paddington movies. Wonderful. Which is an absolute delight. Also, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, so a Ben Stiller movie. Um, which I that makes sense. I, I quite quite enjoy. I'm, I'm assuming some episodes, ben was a big fan. Some episodes of Doctor Who as well. Uh, but yeah, the Paddington movies and this movie are kind of like the claim to fame. How whimsical! How whimsical indeed! <laughs> and both with Sally Hawkins. What a great day! What a, what a treat! <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, uh, so so once all that happens and Oliver learns about her mom, he he starts to get the affection and the attention that I think he he wants that he, that he desires. And I'm not sure, again, if this is like a two-sided thing where now she's hugging him, now she's like resting her head on him. She needs him right now. Mm -hmm. And he's like, and I'm not sure if he is rejecting her, thinking like it's a trick. that She doesn't want to be close, so I'm going to be an extra good boyfriend by not giving her this, what she wants in this moment of weakness, because then she won't be embarrassed later. Or if it's like Steve Buscemi's speech in Con Air about how actual, like, levity and joy causes him physical pain and he rejects her. I think it's probably more of option A because he doesn't know how to be in a relationship and she is such a strong-willed person and she has given him instructions. I don't want to, like, psychoanalyze the character of Oliver Tate, but there, there's definitely some neurodivergency happening with him. So I would He's not... He's very literal. He's very literal. He he's very pedantic to a fault uh-huh. um, at times. You know what? I feel that. And he he's definitely not neurotypical. I just mm. don't know. Like I, I'm not going to shrink a fictional character. I mean, I, I don't like to do that. I would say that the read exists much the way that Correct. the read exists in 28 weeks later that Killian Murphy is some sort of inc- queer androgynous weirdo. But I don't think he is. Right. But the read, the read is exists. There. Yeah. So I think that that I think he's taking her instructions on like I don't want this like very literal. He is respecting that boundary and not recognizing that like a very traumatic incident has happened. The rules have changed, or is about to happen, or is about like, to happen. Mom, yeah. mom's health is looming over. Mom lives, by the way, if you're curious. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that time where Jordana is going calling him from the hospital, saying, "Hey, I'd like you to come visit." Oliver's staying at home going, I'm going to fix my parents and then I can go back to being the world's best boyfriend. And that's how he describes it. So like that tells you exactly how he views this. Like this is something that he has to accomplish. It's like that tweet that goes around every once in a while where it's like, I'm doing good at therapy or I'm winning therapy. I'm getting Mm -hmm. a good grade Mm -hmm. at therapy. And it's like, that's not how this works. And it's the same way. You can't be the best boyfriend in the world. That's not a real standard. And it's different for everyone. So what are you doing, kiddo? I mean, he's never been in love before. And much the way that like, you don't win therapy. You just continue to progress through therapy. I think you don't win a relationship because you have to constantly work in a relationship. Mm -hmm. If you get to a point where you stop trying, that's sort of how you end up with his parents' situation. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, like, no, you constantly have to be putting in effort. And I think that he sees this as like, oh, there has to be an ending. I'm thinking about endings. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about how, like, oh, well, I want a dramatic moment in my scene with a full crane shot, but unless my life starts getting more interesting, then we won't be able to afford anything other than a Zoom. And the Zoom shot is so good. It does look like a horror movie, but it's so good. It's so funny. (laughs) I fucking love it. But, like, he starts to think about the ending of his own movie life where I I come to the beach every day and wait till the sunset catches up with me and I see a woman out on the shore and I run up and I scream, Jordana, Jordana, and she says, who? Because it's not her. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you. (laughs) 
<laughs> like he's thinking about the end of his own movie of his life. It makes me think of that movie Hits that I showed you, uh, where the, the the very not talented young woman wants to audition for The Voice and oh she can't Oh my God, sing. David Cross's movie? Yes. That and- movie is fine. The payoff to that movie is one of the best things I've ever seen in my goddamn life. I love that movie. But oh there my are... god, the closing like 15 minutes of that movie is one of the most satisfying and incredible payoffs of a film I've it's ever seen. It's fucking great. Um, but the fact that that movie has her in so many different scenes, sitting in her car, pretending how her interview is going to go when she's on Ellen one day. Like, <laughs> it feels so much in line with Oliver figuring out the ending of the movie of his life. Did you ever do that? Like... Did you ever have like a fake conversation or like fake planning out something like this? I know Tom Segura also has that stand up bit where he thinks about the ways he's going to tell people he's lost weight before he's actually lost weight. I mean, I think about trying to explain my thoughts to people preemptively because I don't have my thoughts figured out most of the time because I grew up like this. (laughs) So sometimes people will say like, oh my God, there's a horrible thing happened. And I go, gee, that sucks, man. And some <laughs> the people in my life whom I love know what I mean by that. And then we can right. talk about it. But like, I have to like work extra hard to be like, how do I explain what I'm thinking in my head as a person who doesn't know how to feel like a normal fucking person? <laughs> like I have to work extra hard to not seem like a psychopath. Well, it's also because y- you and I have shorthand with one another because we both have gone through some shit in our lives. Yeah. So we approach things with a lot of humor. And I think sometimes we forget that again, like I'm I'm sorry your life wasn't sad enough to find this funny where it's like, I'm going to tell you a thing about my life. And I have to remember that when I say it, I'm like, meh, yeah, I had pancreatic cancer and a 4% chance to live. I was going to die. It's fine. Yeah. When I say it like that, that's how I feel. They're getting this information for the first time. Yeah. So the reaction is very different. I don't know. It's like, um, <laughs> what is this fucking Avatar The Last Airbender quote of like, my girlfriend turned into the moon. I was like, that's rough, buddy. <laughs> like, that's kind of what it's like where I have to preemptively sometimes figure out ways to say the weird things looping around in my mind and make them sound like a human. Mm-hmm. So I do that a lot. I have to preemptively imagine conversations so that I don't just say psychotic things like that to people <laughs> and they go, what is wrong with you? <laughs> you insensitive ass. I promise you I'm not. I'm just very broken. There, there are hundreds of hours of us talking on the internet and I have to work really, really hard <laughs> in my broken ass upbringing to sound like a normal person who understands empathy because I do, but sometimes I say things that make it sound like I don't. It's like the first, like the first couple of months we did the podcast, the amount of people that were like, is Harmony okay with like her family? Like, is there, is she okay? Should we, should we call someone? And it's like, she's, She's was, beyond it. I was at this still point, talking y'all. to my She's mom. Fine. Then we've we've ripped that bandaid off, and we're better for it. But like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Did you ever have those things? Did you, did you ever have to like preemptively write the ending to the movie of your life? <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. When I was, <laughs> this is I've never talked about this on air, and this is going to be really conceited and make the people who leave reviews saying I talk about myself too much really mad. Um, but when I thought I was dying, I. <laughs> When I thought I was dying, uh, because reminder, I should have like, this isn't like (laughs) this, like random thought that I had that was like, oh, but maybe like they had told me I was going to die. So I was fully operating that I was dying. 
I fantasized about what people were going to say about me at my funeral and mm-hmm. like tried to predict who was going to be the most sad <laughs> and who was going to be like the person that shows up pretending like that we were always friends when we weren't. Just we were because... best friends and I'm devastated because they have to make a show of it. Because they have to make a show of it because people did that when I was alive. Like uh-huh. when I was in treatment, I came home and people who were so fucking mean to me in high school were like, oh my God, I heard, I've been really praying about you. And I was like, you started a petition and said I should get kicked off majorettes because I was fat. So you can fucking go away. I mean, you're you're like 23 or whatever at the time. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's your you're late teens and early 20s are absolutely a conceited time. But like, you're dying, man. You're allowed to think about shit like that. I thought about it all the time. I was consumed by it to the point where like... <laughs> You almost got to dream out your own It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> Fucking right. <laughs> but like when I say it now that I'm not dead, I sound like a lunatic conceited asshole where it's like, why would you even think about that? And it's like, you know what? I didn't have a lot of things but to like, think about. I needed something and this brought me a little bit of joy. <laughs> I don't know. You were, you were thinking about the future and how it was going to be without you because you were approaching what you thought was going to be the end yes, of your story. I was I'll, fully prepared for my movie to end. Yes, Oliver Taylor thinks he's at the end of his story at the beginning of this movie mm-hmm. where he's just like fantasizing about his own death and how everyone's going to sob and talk about how he was a genius. <laughs> and the end of the thing, like, I don't know. I, I feel like he's not fully suicidal yet, but he's mm-hmm. writing notes about being like, well, here's the reasons that I can't kill myself. My parents will be sad and I'll never see Jordana again. Mm-hmm. And also I think it's messy was the third one. Yeah. <laughs> so like he's thinking about it. He's like, He's 15 years old or whatever, and he's being very dramatic, as 15-year-olds I certainly was. I sure shit was. But, like, he's reaching a point where, like, oh, I think when I'm 38, this this breakup is still going to affect me. This is, I, I don't know if I want to make it to 38. I'm thinking about the end of my story now because this is as far as I'm gotten. So as far as I know, this is closer to the end than it's not. That's a very good point. And <laughs> all things being fair... There was a thing going viral on Twitter this week of somebody who wrote into an advice column where they basically were like, dear so-and-so, I realized that somebody that I dated 25 years ago was probably the love of my life and things should have ended up better. So I paid to find her address so I could write to her and ask her why we didn't work out. And that is... If, if Oliver Tate doesn't get some help, that is some shit that he would pull 25 years from I now. I mean, he, he does love the theatrics and the he drama. Does. So that doesn't happen. Fortunately, he goes to the beach enough times that he does cross paths with Jordana and she has a new dog. She even does. though it found out, even though they found out that her eczema was caused by dog allergies. Mm-hmm. And he runs up and then goes, oh shit, it's actually you. Mm-hmm. Wasn't prepared for this. Yep. Why do you have a dog? It's bad for you. And she goes, I fucking like dogs, you dick. (laughs) (laughs) Which, like, real. I know so many people who are, like, deathly allergic to cats and have two of them. Yeah. You love what you love. Dogs are great. I love dogs. I'll call someone a dick if they say I shouldn't have a dog. And sometimes the thing that you love most, it's not perfect. Sometimes there's a little bit of pain involved Mm -hmm. because it's hard work and it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. But... 
I don't know, then he awkwards his way through an interaction because it's the only thing he had not planned out. He'd thought about never seeing her again. He thought about his death. He never actually thought about a scenario where the ending of his movie would be different than it was in his mind. Mm-hmm. And now he's fumbling his way through it. And I love the way that he he forces her to ask him how deep the ocean is. Mm-hmm. And then when she asks, he says, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> yeah. It's six miles. I I think that that's wonderful because... That's what he brings to a relationship, which is like, you have to ask me questions because I know facts. That's what I've got. I'm bad with feelings, but I know facts. Mm -hmm. And if you're interested in that part of me, then that matters. Mm -hmm. Like earlier in the movie, he tries to relate to her, like tries to force relate to her by being like, here's some books and we're going to go to this silent film that's really long and you're going to walk out on it because there's no sound. (laughs) But like, here's Nietzsche and Catcher in the Rye and... I'm trying to force mutual interests. Mm-hmm. And on one hand, that's like really narcissistic. But on the other hand, I'm a person who relates through sharing things that I love with people. Mm-hmm. So it's me saying like, here's a thing that I love that means something to me. I hope that you will see something good in this because it means something to me, which means that you'll see a big part of me having value. And then she rejects him and mails all this shit back to him. Right. So... I don't, I don't know. He, it's, him, it's him desperately trying to find words to communicate and relate to people like a fucking alien. Mm-hmm. And I understand that. Mm-hmm. I understand that like weird communication that's extremely hard. And I don't know. He, he's masquerading as a normal fucking person and he's doing a really bad job at it, but he's trying. I think that's the important thing. Oliver Tate is a boy who is trying. He is genuinely trying he's misguided he's making mistakes but he's fucking trying Mm -hmm. and for that i do give him credit when you're a teen you just gotta try we're all trying our best we're all idiots trying our best (laughs) you have to dare to fail like that's one of the number one rules of improv dare to fail and that's kind of what he has to do and he's not prepared when it happens but he sure is trying Mm -hmm. it is you I didn't think it'd be you. I, I, I honestly thought, it, you know, it'd be like a film, you know, with a girl when she turns around and it's got the... Why have you got a new dog? I thought you looked at the dogs. Oliver. And where's your boyfriend? He's not my boyfriend. Your skin's looking bad. Your skin's looking terrible. It's probably the dog. I don't care about my fucking skin. I mean, why on earth did you get a new dog? Because I like dogs, okay? Why are you such a total dick? I don't know. I was crying earlier. My eyes are probably red. They look fine. Oh, well, maybe they don't go red when I cry then. Happens to some. You were horrible to me. You know, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. What do you want me to say? Ask me how deep the ocean is. Shut up. Go on, just ask me. Why? Because I know the answer. Oh, do you? Yeah, I do. How deep is the ocean? I'm not going to say. I'm broken hearted. The ocean is six miles deep. Good. I, I think we're kind of naturally getting to the end of where this episode's going to be. But there is one thing that I kind of want to wrap this up with, which is he is trying to understand his parents, mm-hmm. too. And they, they're not giving him anything. So well, they're not talking to him. Yeah, so he's learning it all through context clues of, like, the dimmer switch on their lights or, like, the interest Moms has in, in Graham. 
or by going through all of their stuff to try and learn things about his parents, which I didn't, I didn't care about learning about my parents and who they were as a teen. Like I just, I was not invested and I didn't care. As an adult, I've definitely had moments where I try to fun home my parents together. Mm-hmm. Be like, let's try and see if I can make some sense of you. Mm-hmm. But like, did you ever go through your parents' shit? Oh, yeah. <laughs> try and try and learn things? I was an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I went through everything. I was so nosy. Um, okay, so I was also a compulsive snacker when uh-huh. I was younger, and I still am now. And it was because I... My mom's an almond mom. We grew up in an ingredients household. Fucking ingredients household. Just pie tins and brown sugar mm-hmm. and chocolate chips and things you can make things with but not actual food. Correct. This is why I like to eat saltines as a snack because we had them. Yes, same. <laughs> um, but the one thing that we had that was like snackable were like the whatever the weird fad diet food was at the time. Like mm-hmm. I was a snack wells the girl. The, the, the chips that make your butt leak. <laughs> the anal leakage chips. Yeah. Uh, a lot of fiber one bars. Uh, that was very much like a thing mm-hmm. in our household. So because I had gotten really good at having to like sneak those, I learned how to hide the wrappers. The answer is that you wrap it in paper towel and throw it away. So then it looks like it's just paper towel that you use to dry your hands. But ah. really there's snack evidence inside. <laughs> um, so because I got really good at being like a little sneak about that, I just started doing it around the house of like, the drawers in the bathroom, like the way that our bathroom was, like I had a drawer and my sister had a drawer and then my mom had like the mirror and that was her thing and you just, we just didn't fuck with each other's stuff. I fucked with everybody's stuff. Yeah. That's how I know what my dad's cologne smelled like. The the, the Michael, Michael Jordan? The Michael Jordan that cologne. That I bought for you for Christmas last year? Yes. All right. <laughs> like, didn't, but he knew. He was just like, stop stealing my cologne. Well, yeah, he knew. But like, that's how I figured out where it was. And like, they uh-huh. would hide things and move things around. I'm like, I know where this shit is. Uh, um, but I definitely went through my parents' stuff one day because I needed a pair of socks. Mm-hmm. And I knew where my mom kept her socks. And it was in this like old vanity that she had gotten, I think at like a thrift store and like they repainted it. So it looked really nice, but like, nah, we didn't pay for that shit. And I went through all of her drawers and figured out like where she kept each, like the clothing was here and underwear was in this drawer and bras were in this drawer. And in this drawer was like all of her old jewelry. And then in the middle of the vanity was like one of those like flat, long pullout drawers. Mm-hmm. And that was filled with like concert tickets and pins and like a lot of like sentimental items and Mm -hmm. I just sat there and went through all of it and I kept thinking like why is it here why isn't it in a box in the closet why does she put it here does she look at it every day and like I tried to figure out my mom's entire thought process of why things were the way they were because I think that says things about people yeah and I don't have a lot of answers but I I loved going through that drawer and I'm glad she doesn't know how to work a podcast because I think she would be mortified if she knew that I went yeah. through all her shit. But I loved looking through the drawer of sentimental stuff because it showed me like what she valued. Because mm-hmm. my mom was also, she's a keeper. Oh, your mom is so sentimental. She doesn't throw anything away. No, but it's not in like a hoarder sense. Like everything's organized. It has its place. She's, well, yeah. she's a keeper. Um, so... Tons of photo albums, tons of knickknacks, tons of things that she kept, but a lot of it was like in a bin in the basement or in a bin in the attic. 
I wanted to know, like, why this picture in the drawer? And I could figure out most of it. It's like, oh, this is her best friend that she doesn't see very often. Or, mm-hmm. oh, this concert ticket is, like, from my parents' honeymoon or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, the who? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was their last ever tour. It wasn't. It wasn't. They're still touring, I think. have seen them, like, three times since then. Um, <laughs> but, like, I don't know. There was something about that that I found so interesting. And it's only been, like, as an adult where I'm like, I, that was a big invasion of privacy. I shouldn't have done that. But as a kid... I really did process this as, like, I'm learning more about my mom. Like, I'm learning things about her. Yeah. And I don't know. Like, no, I, I, do I feel bad about it? A little bit. But also, I'm glad I did it. I, but I I agree. Like, yeah, it is, it's absolutely an invasion of privacy. But, like, there is also, if your parents, like, it's that Midwest thing where, like, our parents didn't talk about shit like this. Like, I didn't find out until... Many years later that, like, my grandma worked at NASA at one point because we just didn't talk about that. That is, like, so crazy to me because could you imagine being a kid and being like, my grandma worked at NASA? Like, I would tell that to everybody. Yeah, and then she became the leader of the school buses for the school district. Which is also kind of cool. That's a lot of power. She was very powerful. But, like... That's a cool thing to tell a kid. Where it's like, you know what? Someone in our family used to work at NASA. Right. Like, that's fucking cool. That would be my fun fact in every icebreaker forever. I would have asked grandma about that all the fucking time. I didn't find out about that shit until way later. Yeah. So like, in the Midwest, I feel like especially your parents just don't fucking talk about interesting things or don't talk about themselves. So it's like, who are you? Who were you? Who were you is the question that I always want to know. Is like, yeah. who were you? Like, I like will hear these stories about my parents. Like, my parents are very open with me now. Yeah. And, like, they well, started. Well, you're an adult now, so they can talk yeah, to you like an adult. Yeah, they, they started being really open, like, earlier than I think most people, which I am very happy about. But even still, like, anytime I visit them, if they're around their friends mm-hmm. and you know, we've had a couple of drinks, then all of a sudden, like, these stories will be, like, pouring out where they're just like, your mom did this, this, and this. And I'm like, what? Like, I was an adult when I heard the story the first time about my mom telling Santa to fuck, like, fuck you, Santa, at the mall oh, yeah, because yeah, yeah. he was being shitty. Yeah. And I'm like, what? This is the most badass thing I've ever heard. And they're like, well, we're not going to tell you that. I'm like, why would you not tell me that? You should. It's cool. That's so cool. I don't know. Like, my, my dad thought I went through my mom's shit way more often than I actually did. Oh yeah. <laughs> like okay, so I, I fidget. I fidget a lot. I have, yes. I have I have energy and probably you're electric. <laughs> probably ADD. Um, but you, you do. But it's okay. <laughs> probably it's not diagnosed. I'm not stealing valor. So, <laughs> so the only TV we had growing up was in the living room. Mm-hmm. Eventually, my parents got a TV in their bedroom, and then when my grandma got a new TV, we got one in the basement. But in between the one in the basement and the living room. We had the two TVs, so if I wanted to watch something and my dad came home from work and then fell asleep on the couch and I would go to change the channel and go, oh, I'm watching that and you can't do it, you know, as a dad does, mm-hmm. I would go in his bedroom and watch TV in there. Mm-hmm. And I would fidget, so I would just be like, my feet be hanging off the bed and I would just be kicking like the, the handles on the dresser door and it would just go like clank, clank, clank mm-hmm. as I'd be doing it because I'm just fidgeting and my dad would be yelling from the other room, stop going through your mom's shit. <laughs> and I wasn't. <laughs> I mean, not at that particular moment. When I was home alone, <laughs> I would go through my mom's shit because I'm nine years old and I'm trying to figure out women's clothing and it was a thing. <laughs> now, that stopped uh, as a person who is six foot three and has been that tall since I was like 12 years old. Um, I stopped when I got too big, <laughs> which was pretty fucking fast. But I don't know. Like, I didn't have that much interest in my parents as people then, but I wish I found more interesting things. Like I found a fucking... 
girl on girl lesbian porn in my parents' closets after my parents were divorced. So either my dad left it or my mom had it, which raises a million questions. <laughs> the time that after my brother died, we found out that he had trans porn. And what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh because I only laugh because I've heard this story so many times. But like you're you find that shit and like if you don't have the context for what that is, like for all we know, that could have been like a gag gift that like friends gave him yeah. or something and he just never threw it out. But because you don't know that, now it's like I have to assess every possibility of how this came into your possession. Yeah, so like I wasn't looking for questions. I found questions, <laughs> I guess, is how I had when I went through people's stuff. Whereas, like, when Oliver goes through it, he doesn't find questions. He just makes his assumptions, and that becomes fact. He writes stories. Mm-hmm. And he seems to be pretty right about some of those stories. That's very true. He, he's, he's an excellent observer. He's a watcher. Because he's a watcher. <laughs> well, obviously, this is your birthday pick, so I don't think I need to ask you the question of whether or not Submarine is going to prom with you. Mm. I assume it's a yes. Oh, I mean, it's a huge yes. I figured. (laughs) This this is one of those movies where it's like, I am sharing something that I love with the listeners, Mm -hmm. and hopefully you will see something in there that makes you understand why I'm fucking broken (laughs) and why I love it and where I come from, despite being from Ohio, not Wales. (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm glad that you brought this to the table because i do love this movie and i've loved the conversation that we've been having oh we certainly went places today didn't we i mean if y'all really want to peek behind the curtain this is just kind of how we exist like these are the conversations <laughs> we have all the time where it's just like you ever go through your mom shit like <laughs> yeah there, there was a scheduling kerfuffle we had with a guest earlier today uh-huh. and uh so we just sat in like the zoom call for like an hour in separate rooms talking to each other until they showed up because of time zones mm-hmm. it was so great. we were just like set and they're just like let's just keep talking about random shit this is what we're doing <laughs> mm-hmm. and it was because like we're in the same place but we were in different rooms so we couldn't see each other it was yeah. just like i guess we're just having this talk now okay it was fun <laughs> uh well we thank you as always for listening and you can follow the show on twitter and instagram at this ends at prom you can follow me on twitter instagram and tiktok at bj colangelo and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And humongous thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. What cool band, Harmony, do you want people to check out this week? Inspired by Submarine. So the Alex Turner soundtrack to this is phenomenal. Like mm-hmm. Dark Horse for a great soundtrack. Like six songs, but like stellar fun songs for like an indie soundtrack. Mm-hmm. So I need something that's going to capture a, a similar ambiance. And a similar vibe. So the person I am shouting out this week is Wormy and the album I'm Sweating All the Time. Relatable. Right? Oh, my God. It's It's been un, uncomfortably cold. Like, I'm suspicious of how cold it is too. in Los Angeles. Like, we're going to get punished in August. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's been really nice uh, for the first six months of the year, <laughs> for yeah. the most part. Um but yes, I first found this album because the cover is just this smiling, nice gentleman who's wearing a turtleneck t-shirt and he looks like he does infomercials. And I was like, oh, this is probably a comedy album. It's not. It's sad as hell. <laughs> um, I would say it. So it, these are probably technically folk songs, but I would say that they are um, country songs with like synthesizers and drum beats. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the, the, the outro to this album, Name Checks the Postal Service. It's kind of like if the Postal Service wrote a country album. Yeah, very try, much. Try, from, and, try and wrap your head around that, and that's what this is. From what you've played me, that tracks. Yeah, so like, I think this is just a 
wonderful, like sad boy, but like kind of funny, but like kind of uplifting album with a lot of songs about love and heartbreak and being on the road and traveling. And I don't know. I just, I think it's, I think it's wonderful. I think that it's also not um, droning on because it has a lot of sense of humor and really interesting imagery in the lyrics. So but give Wormy and his album a listen because I'm I think it's quite delightful. Beautiful. Alrighty, that takes us out. We will see you next week, and as always, save that last dance for us. Okay, bye. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.